Welcome to Transparency with Diana B, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. In this podcast, we explore some of the deepest struggles and hardships that many advisors face and bring these issues out into the open so that others may find healing. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to overcome the stresses and anxieties as Diana draws from years of expertise and guest experts to manage the personal challenges of advisors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Transparency with Diana B, a podcast by WealthManagement.com. My name is Diana Britton, and I'm the managing editor of WealthManagement.com. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a personal development issue facing financial advisors and financial services professionals. Guests come and join me to talk about their journey dealing with the struggle and how they ultimately found healing. Um, My guest today is Gary Schwartz. He's the president and CEO of Madison Planning Group in White Plains, New York. Gary, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's a beautiful day in in New York here. Beautiful fall day. So Gary is going to share about his struggle dealing with addiction. But before that, Gary, I know you grew up in the Bronx. Um, you know, which is perhaps the most controversial borough in New York City. It's, you know, sort of long struggle to overcome this image of urban decay. And I know now it's very, very gentrified now. But, uh, you know, I mean, often we, we have this image, you know, of, in our heads of, of what, the, what it's like. You know, we think of the Godfather or Sopranos or whatever. But, you know, tell us what it was really like growing up in the Bronx, because I have a feeling that... It's very different than what the image that we all have in our heads. Yeah. Well, it was a middle-class neighborhood. My father actually owned a butcher shop around the corner from uh, where we lived. School mm-hmm. was good. It was, it was actually a pretty decent neighborhood. You know, mixed, primarily uh, white, Italian, Jewish, Irish. And uh, we grew up there. Went to uh, PS86. And very nice. The, the struggles were more... Personal. I used to lisp really bad. Mm. And, you know, going to school and being called out of school to, you know, go to special teachers and things like that caused a lot of, you know, I would say self-esteem issues, Mm -hmm. you know, growing up. Yeah. And started to, uh, when I was about, let's see, in fifth grade, we moved to uh, Rockland. And, you know, so we were kind of out of the city. And had the same issues up there. Yeah, and so what were, I mean, expand on that a little bit. I mean, what were some of the issues? I know that you you said that, uh, you know, some of your struggles sort of started at, like, the age of 12. And so I guess what were some of the experiences that, you know, shaped you early on? Yeah, well, like most addicts, you know, I had uh, self-esteem issues. Whether they were real or not, they were real to me. Back then, uh, they didn't diagnose you with ADD or ADHD. And kids uh, with those conditions have a tendency to self-medicate and to fit in. I was a very hard worker. I probably started delivering newspapers at 12, started drinking at 12. You know, a little bit, stealing liquor from mom, 12, 13. I remember getting kind of loaded at my bar mitzvah. And, you know, that's, it grew from there became the center of attraction. You know, I was able to work hard and have money. Money gave me the ability 
to buy pot and other you know drugs at the time and drink and which got me friends yeah i mean how do you think i guess what happened sort of during those years when you were addicted i know you at one point you had a butcher shop and then you mm-hmm. got into accounting right or just walk mm-hmm. us through you know sort of those years when you were addicted yeah it's easy to look back now and see when it started like as I stay cleaner longer you know I started remembering being 13 and 14 and some of the stuff I did but you know through those years as I made money and as I found other drugs because I was never a big drinker but Mm. uh, cocaine and speed was really my drug of choice you know and anything else I could get my hands on but it went along fine I Went to school. I went. I became an accountant. Went two years to community college. Uh, then went to Pace. Hated accounting. So over my mother's dead body, I opened up a butcher shop. She didn't really want me to go into the business my father was in. In the you know in the seventies, uh, made a lot of cash, and uh, I was a crazy person. I never thought I had a problem because I had money. You know, what I mean, I I was making money. I had money. Uh, I was driving a sports car and running around like a maniac. And then it just progressed from there to unconsciously I knew I had a problem. But admitting you have a problem and accepting you have a problem are different things, you know. Like people would say to me, you know, you're you're a little crazy, you really got to stop this. And, you know, I would say, you know, what do you know? Because what do you know? (laughs) And by that time, I had moved back to the Bronx. Okay. So I was living in a co-op in, in, in Riverdale, part of the Bronx, and nice part. And, yeah. you know, so I had a car, I had a, a nice co-op, I had money in my pocket. And, you know, for a while I thought I just had a, you know, toward the end I just had a money problem. I ran out of money. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's pretty good though right because i know a lot of addicts they just can't function mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis uh, i mean it becomes so bad that they can't um mm-hmm. you know they lose their jobs and and they uh you know show up hung over to work or whatever it is so it sounds like you were still able to make money and function but um so i know that tell us about when you got married because i know you know you said to me that that really you know when you got married and had kids you thought that that would be the moment where you got clean and you, and you changed your life. But yeah, you know, when you start to realize you have a problem, you start to blame everybody else but yourself. So I thought that, you know, being a middle-class, educated Jewish guy, that, you know, if I got married now, that would fix everything. I would grow up, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It would stop this craziness. So I ended up marrying somebody that was a tremendous enabler. So, and you know, school teacher, master's degree, attractive, made my mother happy. Was the first Jewish girl I ever went out with. And um, 90 days into the relationship, I asked her to marry me. Uh, a year and a wow. half later, we were, we were married. And you're still married, right? I, yes. And I didn't stop. Mm. So this dragged on um, for about six years. We tried to have kids. We couldn't have kids. We went through all different trials and tribulations. I blamed it on that for, you know, a while, you know, 
this is why I could use because I'm happy, I'm depressed, I'm miserable, whatever it was. And at the end, and then we finally adopted two kids. I was still using, and my drug addiction had gotten really bad those last three or four years, where I couldn't function, I wasn't able, I was constantly sick, and uh, you know, I it, you know, moved on from that. So we adopted two kids, got through a home study, a U.S. adoption and a foreign adoption. They're six weeks apart. And they were about six months old when I got clean. You know, you start to do all the things you said that you would never do. And so it was pretty ugly. I was in and out of uh, 12-step programs. We'd go and go to a meeting and say, wow, these people are really crazy. That I'm not like that guy. Yeah, right. And, and, and I would, uh, you know, and then I would go and use. Um, and, you know, and my wife would beg me, you know, if you love me, you'll stop. So if you love me, you'll stop. And, uh, of course, I never did. And then toward the very end, and I was in and out of meetings. I had a temporary sponsor. So um, I remember I took off for about three days. I was missing in action. And uh, I finally came home, you know, embarrassed and everything else. And who's sitting there but my mother and my wife. Mm. And they said, you got to call Danny. Danny was my temporary sponsor who I never called. So mm. I, I called Danny and he said to me, how you doing? And I said, okay. And he said, I got you into a rehab. And I said, okay. Okay, how long is that? And he said, 28 days. And I said, there's no way. There's no way I could go away for 28 days. I'm a father, two kids. You know, I'm important. I'm too important for this. Uh, so I uh, looked at my wife and I looked at my mother. <laughs> Embarrassed. I was about 148 pounds at the time. I'm two, 206 now. Wow, so, yeah. So he... Um, so I, I said, okay. And, and you have to understand, I, I didn't really make any money for two years. It was just spending everything I made or did or whatever. So it was kind of your mindset. And then he said, okay, but first you got to go to detox. He said mm -hmm. for seven days. And I said, there is no way I could go away for 35 days. I'm just too damn important. And then he said these magic words to me. It was the last time I used. And uh, he said, I'll tell you what you do. If you're still alive next week, give me a call, and I'll see if I can get you in. Mm. Wow. So I, so I, uh, so, so mm. I did that. That was the last time. And my wife wouldn't even take off from work to drive me to the detox, so I had to have my mother do it. So. Mm. But you went in right, pretty much right away, or did you wait mm -hmm. that week? I waited, it was two days, I think that was like on a, I don't remember exactly, but it was like two days before I went to the detox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear like what the words were that really triggered you to get help because addicts can't, it, you can't force them to, to go into rehab. They've got to, you know, <laughs> want to get help and, and make that decision themselves. So I'm glad yeah. you did. How many years have you been sober now? I've been clean 30, over 32 years. 
Wow. So I got clean May That's 21st, incredible. 1989. My kids were wow. all born 888 and 988. And there's six weeks between them. Yeah. So, well, so yeah. Well, congratulations. That's a big, mm-hmm. big accomplishment. How did you actually get into the industry? Because I think it was a little bit, was it before you got clean that you became a financial advisor? No, it was uh, after, right at the mm-hmm. beginning. I've always was self-employed. I, you know, I paid for college by having a landscape business. I, I was always able to make money. So mm-hmm. it's the first time I had to go look for a job. And the only people that were hiring were insurance companies. So mm-hmm. I actually went to work for MetLife, not owning any life insurance, because addicts never buy life insurance, because it's not life is not that important at that time. <laughs> But um, so, uh, yeah, I went to work for MetLife. They, I did okay in the first two years. A um, lot of stories about that. And then they made me an assistant branch manager, which mm-hmm. made me into a babysitter uh, for <laughs> other reps and uh, agents. And so I kind of left there and bounced around. Through those years, now that I was clean and I was guilty about all the money I wasted and the time and how I acted and all that. I tried to overcompensate. So, you know, mm-hmm. I like, like you said about help, you know, I raised my hand. I was ready to get help. And uh, I finally, you know, was willing to do something about it. In these next five years, I kind of try to make up for being an idiot. So I ended up buying a house I couldn't afford car I couldn't afford, sending my kids to sleepaway camp I couldn't afford. And because, I guess because I was a middle-class white kid, I was able to get credit. I was able to have people lend me money. I was able to get credit cards. Mm. And, you know, I built up a huge amount of debt. Mm. And then my business was never able to support that at that time. So I got myself in real financial trouble. And that was the Five years in, life became real, and I had a, uh, I had nobody to blame. I couldn't say, oh, I was a drug addict, and now you know I'm accountable, but I'm doing the right thing. Now I had asked for help of a problem I created uh, clean. So I uh, ended up eventually asking for help. Mm-hmm. Was going to file bankruptcy, didn't file bankruptcy, because uh, my wife refused to go along with it. Then I, uh, and I'm married 38 years now. So yeah, we, wow. we went to, um, so I ended up actually, you know, I've ended up paying off everybody. But at that time, I came, I came back into the business with somebody who ended up believing in me more than I did at the time, asking for help again. Taught me a lot about humility and being humble which I thought I learned when I got clean, but I wasn't. Hmm. And from that point on, you know, I started building the business. So everything he ever said to me came true. What Whatever were some of those mentor. things? Hmm. Yeah, what were some of those things that he said? Uh, like, you'll be dramatically underpaid at the beginning and dramatically overpaid at the end, if you do it right. Hmm. And that's true. You uh, you take it. You have nothing that 
they can't buy from somebody else, so all you have is yourself. So 30 years to build your reputation and 30 seconds to mess it up. Mm. About having clients and not people you sold things to. Mm -hmm. Clients will feed you forever. Just a lot of a lot of how to talk to people, how to really figure out what's really going on with them. Not just dealing with the math, but understanding. That's the thing I love about the business now is the client interaction. And I feel 60% of my time is therapy, 20% is social work, and 20% is actually financial planning. Mm, yeah. What, what was it like for you just when you first started your own practice? I know you had some difficulty cold calling, and, and that's really, really hard part of this business you know i know a lot of advisors they think that you're you're super profitable right out of the gate but you actually most advisors are not profitable in the first couple of years i hate cold calling i mm-hmm. never really did it um, i'm a good networker and i just one of the things my mentor said to me is you burnt all your connections you have no choice but to run twice as fast and twice as hard as everybody else Mm. He also said things to me like, I was always getting ready to get ready because I was insecure. So I had to take this course or that course or get this certification or that, or I had to get this software or that software. And he once said to me, you know, you're going to die from starvation. You might be the smartest guy in the room, but if you don't have clients to see, you, 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 that's it. You have to go find people. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you could be the greatest barber or brain surgeon, but if you don't have patience or heads to cut, you're not eating. So, right. so uh, that's kind of sunk in, and, and I started networking, started running around. It was in the 90s, so it was when everybody else was making a lot of money, and I wasn't, so I was ready to, you know, so nobody would do some of the things I did. I ran around like a maniac. I would chase down nickels and dimes. You know, I was broke. had two kids to feed, and I had to go try to find somebody who either wanted to give me money or buy insurance. Uh, and so when I started yeah. the firm, I, it wasn't really a plan. I had an idea of what I wanted to do, which, which was comprehensive planning. And I just, and it developed over time. You know, I had to learn to be a businessman. I had to learn. Salespeople think they're good business people, but they're usually not. Mm. So I had to learn to be a business person and run a business. So it, it, it was quite interesting building the business. You know, when I first started, it was me and my mentor, who was retired for quite a while, sitting in an office inside somebody else's office. You know, and, you know, then we grew and now we're, you know, we got a couple offices and 4,000 square feet in White Plains. So it's sometimes I have to remember and look back where I was. You know, you have a tendency in life to look at, oh, I didn't get this done. I didn't get that done. And and you get all caught up in that. But it's you got to look backwards and say, wow, look where I was and look where I am. And it's hard to... You know, it's not easy to do that, at least for for this person. Yeah, um, you know, I know that it's a. This is a very stressful 
business, a very stressful job. 2018 FlexShare survey found that advisor stress levels were 23% higher than national norms. And for male, it was, for male advisors, it was even more pronounced. Their stress levels were 26% higher than the national norm for men, while female advisors' stress was nearly 18% higher than the national norm for women. And, you know, there's been studies that show that uh, it, advisors, brokers are more prone to um, abusing alcohol and, and other drugs. Kudos to you for, for staying clean and, um, you know, just uh, sticking with it and staying in, in the business and, and building up. How did you sort of get past the addiction and the money problems and, and eventually get to healing? So it's, you know, staying connected to 12-step program, still go to meetings, try to get to three meetings a week. I still talk to people in meetings, and I've been in and out of therapy based on situations in my life. It's a, it's a growing process. As you stay clean and as life changes, you have new issues and new pressures. I, it, in my business, what really helped me too in the business was back about 20 years ago when I decided to go from commissions to fees. Hmm. On the, on the money management side. Mm-hmm. And as that started to build and as I did not have to worry about Mary saying yes Thursday to pay my bills, mm-hmm. that started to remove a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. But I still have, whether they're based on reality or not, I still have fears like it's all gonna disappear Thursday. You know, I was broke. You know, something's gonna happen and magically, you know, it's gonna end. But it's not real. Mm. You know, I, the business is at a point where, there's, you know, we have a lot of uh, natural growth, you know, organic growth and, and business. We don't do a tremendous amount of uh, marketing at all. So it's, Can you it's expand a little bit on that? Yeah. I mean, what sure. was the, the switch to fees? How did that sort of release some of the stress? Is it, was it just because you had that recurring revenue? Yeah. I had the recurring revenue because yeah. while building the business and having all that debt and worrying about how you're going to pay the bills, if you wrote a life insurance case, like how am I going to get paid for this by Thursday and the client tells you they're out of town for two weeks gotcha. or three weeks okay. or you know, making the trade or trying to do different things to generate income or selling whatever, you know, it became... That's very stressful. That was very stressful to me. And I'm very good at getting people to buy things or do things with me. I'm not very good at selling things. Yeah. Like, I have, you know, I don't have the greatest anything. So so it really took the pressure off. You know, I could pay the rent. I could pay my staff. I could, you know, there was a lot of tough times borrowing money to make payroll. You know, there was a lot of things that happened during those years. So it was tremendous to me to get rid of that stress. But, you know, meetings, without meetings, I'd be crazy. Like, you know, somebody will say to me, after all these years, you still go to those meetings? And I say, do I look cured to you? I mean, you know, it's, it's not. It's what got me here. Because it's very easy to forget. And I've seen yeah, a absolutely. lot of people put time together, and it scares me. 
and then something happens, surgery, they get hooked on painkillers or whatever, and they're gone, and, you, and they're either dead or they never come back. Or it's, 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 it's scary. It's just not worth the risk. It's, yeah. I've ex- and I'm actually quite, even on my website, I talk about my, uh, you, you know, my addiction. So in my bio, so it's, I'm proud. I'm happy who I became. And I had to go through what I had to go through to become who I became. Yeah. Well, that's a great story. I mean, I know that, you know, I have a a loved one who's, you know, also an addict and has gone through meetings and year long rehab and, you know, just years and years of struggling with it. And, and he's still, still, you know, falls back on it um, every once in a while. It's not, it's the process. It's not just overnight, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, Gary, I, um, you know, I think we're out of time, but I just want to thank you for being on the Pat podcast and just being so vulnerable, being, uh, you know, so open about your story. Um, I really think that it, a lot of people will, you know, relate and just get a lot out of it. But thank you, Gary Schwartz, for, for being on the podcast today. And thank you. It'd be my, uh, it was my pleasure. If you'd like to reach out to Gary, if you have any questions for him, you can reach him at gschwartz at madisonplanning.com. And we'll put this in in the show notes as well. Um, If you yourself have a struggle, uh, you wish to share your experiences and and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at transparencywithdianab at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to Transparency with Diana B., if you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there's healing, there's hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Transparency with Diana B podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding your particular situation.